Vikings tight end Ben Ellison retires. We'll go over what that means for the tight end room and talk about some of the guys that could maybe get a spot over him. Welcome to the Lockdown Podcast. You liked it on three, one, two, three. You, like you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast. Let's find some joy today. I am your host, Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts, whether it is an audio platform app. YouTube or even Amazon Fire or Roku. Just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app on those smart TVs. And a special shout out to my hashtag everydayers. Those of you who do listen to this show every single day, I cannot thank you enough, especially here in, in, in June if you're listening every single day. Uh, I appreciate you quite a bit. Today on the show, I mean, we got some news to get over. So uh, it is Ben Ellison's retirement. He retired after just three years in the league. We'll go over that, what it means for the tight end room. And there are a couple of guys in Nick Muse and Johnny Munt who this like really affects their outlook to uh, make the roster. So we will go over what this means or not what this means for those guys only, but we'll also do those guys for the uh, Everyman series as well. But first, Ben Ellison retires. Via a statement on Instagram, uh, he says thank you to everybody and he says that he's given football everything that he has. A lot of this has to do with injuries. He's had a, a groin issue that has put him on IR and that he has been kind of dealing with for most of his pro career. So it, it, it kind of makes sense. Every once in a while, you do get one of these players that has has to kind of reckon with like, I am putting my body through hell and a half. And, you know, what is that worth? Um, and I think it's a lot easier when you're like a big time player that's getting big time contracts and stuff. But, you know, when you're fighting for your spot on the 53 every year, you're not quite making as much and that might not even be worth it long term financially, even, you know, as much as these six figure incomes that that athletes make for three years might still might not be worth it. He leaves with the blessing of the Vikings and uh, we move onward. The tight end room is now a little different uh, after. TJ Hawkinson and Josh Oliver, who, you know, will be the key tight ends for the team. That third and maybe even fourth spot, depending on just how much depth they want there and who does well on special teams, is down to guys like Johnny Munt and Nick Muse and uh, Ben Sims, the undrafted guy out of Baylor. Um, I believe those, that's it. That's the five in the room now. So in a world where you're keeping potentially four of five guys, maybe three of five guys, that roster pressure is a little bit loosened up, you know, compared to the DT room where you can keep maybe five and there's like nine guys that have made a team before. Um, it's a little bit easier. So ultimately, you know, especially in the roster cuts training camp portion of the season and this kind of phase of the calendar, there is um, this sort of zero sum nature to things where one person's exit is kind of another person's opportunity. And and that's what's really going on here um, for somebody like Nick Muse or maybe even Johnny Munt, who, you know, if they only keep three and he's the third guy, then maybe he wouldn't have made the team because Ben Ellison was a very good blocker for the Vikings. They've got Josh Oliver now to do that. So the actual outlook for the Vikings, who knows if they would have kept Ellison anyways, 
kind of would have been down to camp. Um, but this takes a lot of that pressure away from those two guys. Also, the roster spot has been filled uh, by Garrett Mag, uh, an undrafted wide receiver out of North Dakota, undrafted rookie, um, six foot four, University of North Dakota kid that uh, I guess has been waiting in the wings. Uh, he didn't sign with anywhere anywhere immediately after the draft. So this is sort of an 11th hour signing for him. I'm excited to dive more into him uh, when I get a reason to, I guess. Um, but before I, I move on fully to the Everyman series entries for Nick Muse and Johnny Munt, um, I want to really drive it home that when you see, you, I, I feel like you're going to more and more and more see these Ben Ellison type retirements. I really feel like that's, that used to be a real shocker. Like, Oh my goodness, he retired after, after two years, like who's the guy, the, the linebacker that played next to like Patrick Willis or Navarro Bowman in San Francisco, Clint something. I want to say no, Chris Borland, uh, which was, that was 2015. That was now eight years ago. Um, and that was such a big, like stunning thing. And I feel like it's not going to be that uncommon as time goes on. I'm talking way, way, way long-term over the next decade or two. Um, as the brutality of football and the effect that it has on guys' bodies becomes more and more public, the, the more, you know, as much as the NFL wants to kind of make you forget about that part, uh, you just kind of can't as everything gets more interconnected and we all get to hear each other's voices more. You can hear more about those stories. Um, there is definitely merit to the idea of, you know, if you're never going to be the player and you know, you're never going to be the guy getting multi-million dollar contracts and maybe putting your body on the line for it is worth it. And you don't just maybe have the screw loose that you need to have loose to play in the NFL. Um, you know, in, in the long term and do that to your body just for like the love of the game, uh, you'll see this kind of retirement. And uh, I think that that's perfectly valid. Um, and something that's probably in the long term, as much as it kind of sucks to have players possibly like drop out bef before you're kind of done with them. Um, that's probably in the long run good for the game, I think. Uh, it's just better honesty with with the physicality and, and the effect it has on players' bodies. Um, but we still have a lot more to talk about. Like I uh, mentioned before, we still have a couple Everyman series entries that I'm going to get through today. But before I get into those, let me talk to you about America's number one sports book. That is FanDuel. It is the best place to get your grambles in. And part of that is because if you whiff on your first bet, if you just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on, you make your first bet and you miss on it, you could get up to $2,500 back in bonus bets. That is a juiced up number from what it was before. So once again, that means you go in, bet on like game two of the NBA finals, uh, whether it is a player prop or just like the game spread over under or whatever. Um, and you, and you whiff on that, you can get up to $2,500 back in bonus bets. The FanDuel app is safe, secure, and easy to use. It is It, it pays out instantly when you win. There are all kinds of reasons to go do your grambling at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get that no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Thank you so much. Once again, to all of my hashtag everydayers, if you want something a little bit more substantive, the uh, Ed Ingram 
Patreon video breakdown is up on my Patreon page. It is currently just uh, members only, but it will be made public eventually. But if you just can't wait, I would love it if you went and joined. Go get a half an hour worth of uh, Ed Ingram film breakdown. Moving on. It's about three hours and 40 minutes from Surfside Beach in South Carolina to Belmont, where the Muse family lives. Uh, it is the summer of 2019, and the Muses, who are diehard Clemson Tiger fans, uh, take a summer vacation every year, and this year they're going to Surfside Beach. They're on their way home from that trip. Um, and, and they've been Clemson fans for a good while. Part of that, too, is that their son, Tanner, plays for Clemson during this time, uh, and he is actually in his final year at Clemson. He'll go out for the draft in 2020. Uh, but... They have to divert their trip, and it's, uh, depending on who you ask in the circle of the Muse family, it is somewhat controversial why they have to do so. Um, but let's rewind. Of course, anytime you have two brothers, both of whom will end up in the NFL, you get a lot of really fun stories about, uh, you know, rough housing and competition and play with those uh, two guys. Nick... Of uh, our man uh, grew up to be about six foot four, two fifty, and they actually had him at O line in high school. But at a certain moment, he moved to tight end, and that's where he actually got college interest. It's a much better uh, t- that's like a really good size for a tight end, and it's sort of underwhelming for an O lineman, right? Uh, but still, he is new to the position, of course, and uh, that's makes things kind of weird for recruiters. So he doesn't end up getting the blue blooded Clemson nod that his brother did. He has to go to William and Mary to start his collegiate career has a couple of years there that by all, by all accounts were, were fine. were decent. Uh, but things weren't perfect. There were several problems. I believe is the verbiage that Nick Muse used when he announced that he was going to enter the transfer portal um he's cagey about what those problems were he insists it wasn't anything with the football program or the coaches or anything like that um just maybe wasn't the right fit after a couple of years you're like this isn't the school for me it could have been something personal whatever it doesn't matter um he is transferring and that brings us to that beach trip because by that beach trip in the summer of 2019 we know where nick muse is headed it's the south carolina gamecocks bitter rivals of the clemson tigers uh again a clemson family Surrounded by Clemson fans, everybody's got their Clemson orange. There's pictures of Nick Muse in Clemson orange before he transferred to South Carolina. Uh, so when they have to divert their trip to go by the University of South Carolina and pick up a whole bunch of gear, it feels a little weird. Like their parents talk about it like, man, yeah, putting on that, like, what are they, like that red and black, whatever color they call it, like felt a little weird. It's kind of like if you had a kid and then that kid grew up and got drafted by like the Bears or the Packers. And you had to like put on a Bears jersey and go to a Bears game and like root for the Bears, maybe even against the Vikings. You'd be like, yeah, I mean, you're going to do it, right? Like, that's your kid. But come on, man, it feels a little weird. And it's fun. Uh, But what's even more fun is he gets to play against his brother. Uh, This is a a rivalry game. They call it the the Palmetto Bowl. (laughs) I'm not familiar with all these in college football. Um, it is a much anticipated thing. And they talk at the dinner table about like juking each other this, you know, in, in summers when they're both home, you know, about like, oh, I'll just pop his helmet off. Uh, because Tanner Muse plays defense, he plays safety, and Nick Muse plays tight end. So they'll probably end up against each other a whole bunch. But unfortunately, 
uh, the rivalry matchup is not meant to be. Uh, the first year which that this is possible, 2019, is blown up by a knee injury that uh, Nick Muse suffers. He'll sit out a bunch of that year, including the Clemson game. And then in 2020, COVID gets the game canceled. Um, and by the way, by that point, uh, Tanner Muse has become, I think he was drafted by the Raiders uh, anyways. So he's going to go on his whole NFL journey where he bounces around through a couple of teams. Um Nick Muse will play through 2020, all 10 games of the, the Gamecock schedule that year. And he, then he is actually eligible for the 2021 draft. But he won't take it. He will come back uh, and play out the 2021 season in South Carolina. And he talks about how he's excited about what the coaching staff is building and he wants to be a part of this great program and all that stuff. And that and that's part of it. But I think I get it just even if it, without any quotes or anything from him, it just kind of makes sense. You spent a year hurt and then you had a weird COVID year. Is that really going to be your last year? And then you're going to declare for the draft. And what are you going to do? He's going to go back and try to get his draft stock up. And he at least gets to drafted, right? Gets drafted in the seventh round. Um, he has, again, his brothers bounced through a couple of teams. Uh, I don't think the Viking. Yeah, no, because it would have had to be a Seahawks game last year, which we did not have. Uh, now Tanner is getting a shot with the Steelers, and Nick has that much better of a chance to make a team. I should also, I guess, mention uh, Nick Muse is funny. Like he's the he's the funny one. Uh, there's a picture that generated all kinds of weird controversy, but it's just kind of a funny picture of him, like kind of posing weird, like sticking his hip out a little bit, being a little sassy, and like that's kind of it. I don't know. Some people really really hated it, and some people just think he's the cat's meow. Oh. <laughs> Uh, Johnny Munt, Everman series. Next up. I want to start this next story uh, in probably the late 90s, maybe early aughts. Uh, Houston, California, an 8,000-person town about two hours east of San Jose. A man named Dave Henley, Hendley, uh, wakes up every day, probably before dawn, honestly, and walks across the street to his daughter's farmhouse. It's a, this is a farm town, so everything's kind of rural. Um, and it's just across the street, but he's usually up in time and over there to brew coffee and start his morning before his grandkids wake up. One of those grandkids is Johnny Munt. And when Johnny Munt wakes up, he always remembers having his grandpa like already there, having made coffee, day has been started, like with that head start on everything. Um, I think everybody in the NFL has like their inspiration. Like their their reason they work hard or where they learn this lesson from, whether it's a coach or a parent or a grandparent in this case. Um, Johnny Munt credits his grandfather for quite a bit, including that sort of sense of routine and that sense of like morning habit. Certainly something I do not share in common with him. <laughs> uh, but it's perfect for like the workhorse tight end kind of guy that Johnny Munt is known to be. And he's like a farm boy. His parents have a walnut farm. And his he is uh, seventh generation, I believe, of all farmers in the Munt family. Um, his grandfather did peaches before that, but now they have a big old wal walnut farm. That last report I saw makes like 75 million pounds of walnuts a year, like a big old walnut farm. And there is this sort of hard work and tedium like way of life. You know, you work on a farm, you get used to getting up early and, you know, putting in a whole bunch of backbreaking labor and things getting um, sore and it's, you know, tedious and it's not fun, but it's the chores. It's like what has to get done. 
This translates very well to football, but again, very small town, not a lot of kids, so everybody has to play both ways, and Johnny Munt is no exception. He plays tight end and outside linebacker, and by his, the end of his freshman year, like the playoff run of his freshman year in high school, he's playing varsity. He gets called up. He's a total phenom, um, as you know, most NFL players kind of have to be. And he, he says like he kind of preferred defense, to be honest, but tight end was where he started getting attention. It was how colleges recruited him. So it's, hey, you know, if you want to really have this be something more than an after school activity, you're going to be a tight end. And hey, that's fine. Um, he doesn't really seem like the kind of kid who that like kind of hard work and and repetitive tedium thing is like a means to an end either. Uh, that's like the other thing about growing up on a farm where it's not something, you know, a lot of NFL players, it's, hey, I work really hard because I have this dream and this dream is what really motivates me. And for Johnny Mutt, it's just kind of what you do. It's just life. It's just routine. There isn't a world where you get to phone it in and, you know, oh, but then I didn't get my goal because it's kind of at, at, at certain points, it's not about a goal. It's about putting that in and and being comfortable with the life that that is, you know, it's honest work. Um, but hey, in case I'm wrong and there is like a big dream of of grandeur, that dream, at least for the first time, gets realized when he gets his first start at Oregon, where he ends up playing. Um. So Oregon has the starting tight end when uh, Johnny Munt gets there. His name is Colt Lyerla, uh, who was kind of in and out of trouble, kind of a knucklehead type, um, got in a bunch of trouble with like team violation rules and all kinds of other stuff. At the time, none of that was disclosed. A lot of that kind of came out later that there was like personal reasons and all these other kind of cagey things. We don't need to get into it. Um, Point is, he ends up getting way more playing time than he was ever expecting to. He he was told he was going to redshirt his freshman year, and his parents were told he was going to redshirt his freshman year. So his parents didn't bother booking any like travel to games or anything like that. But sure enough, week one, he is in, and the first true start was against Tennessee that year. I think it was the second game of the year. And his parents were like, watch it on TV, because they were like, wait, we didn't like plan to get to this. Uh, and he totally explodes. Five catches, 121 yards, two scores. This is absolutely insane game. And they're going, Oh my goodness. Wait, is our kid like, is this real? Like, is this, you know, there's, it's one thing to say, wow, look, he's like on TV playing football. It's another thing to watch him dominate. Right. Um, but unfortunately things kind of cooled after that really spicy debut. Um, he is statistically just not really able to like keep up that level of production. And then eventually Pharaoh Brown, who is also still in the league, uh, currently with the Colts, I guess in Colts camp, he has also bounced around a lot, uh, usurped him for a lot of that playing time. Um, and then his last year at Oregon, he hurts his knee. So Johnny Munt at this point is pretty much thinking that like it's over. He is getting ready to go like run the family walnut farm. Uh, and go be part of that. But it's uh, 2017. He declares for the draft. He doesn't get drafted. Um, And then the Rams call. And he actually gets a chance to go and makes make the Rams. Um, And he he does miss the cut his his rookie year, which is 2017. He ends up on the roster by like November. I would assume for like an injury or something uh, that I'm not remembering. But he ends up joining the full roster there, signs a futures contract, and then he stays on the team all the way up through 2021. 
playing in both of their Super Bowls, right? So if you again you want that moment of grandeur, he won a Super Bowl with the 2021 Rams, played in another with the 2018 Rams. Uh and sort of enjoy all of that glory there. Kevin O'Connell gets hired to the Vikings and here he finds himself. Um I, I always kind of thought that Johnny Munt would be like a spicy cut candidate in camp. I don't think I really think that anymore just because of the Ben Ellison retirement taking some pressure off of that room. Um but there is something and you know you, you look at like the articles that I've like looked at to research this stuff and uh you see the way that his coaches at Oregon his coaches in high school and you know and the Rams and Vikings all talk about him is just as this he's just the coach's dream right this just like head down you know hard nosed uh rep it 10 million times till i get it right kind of worker because he's used to cutting the right branches off of walnuts they call them suckers uh, off of walnut trees, the the limbs that like hang, which pull like sap and nutrients and stuff down, but then they don't have anywhere to deliver it. So you have to cut those limbs off. Uh, and it's just, you just go through the field all day and like cut limbs off of trees or, you know, just go like pick walnuts all day. And that kind of work translates well to a football field, at least so much so that he's managed to carve out a five-year career, five, six-year career for himself already. Um, Next week, we'll figure out what, what's going on here. Again, today is June 2nd, so this might be the day of Dalvin Cook news. If so, I'll have like a YouTube short up, but we'll, we'll really talk about it on Monday, or if it doesn't happen, then we'll just kind of keep plugging along with whatever it is I feel like talking about. So I hope you're along with me for that journey. Have a good weekend. I will see you all Monday, and as always, Skull.